Greetings. Welcome to the Death Labs Threat Research Podcast hosted by NetRich. I am your host, John Bamanuk. I'm the principal threat hunter here at NetRich. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Alison Wyckoff. Uh, she works at PwC, the Director of Global Threat Intelligence for the Americas. Welcome to the program, Alice. Thanks for having me, John. So uh, I invited uh, her on because, uh, yeah, I was digging into, based on a client request, uh, some research into Muddy Waters, and uh, we have an expert who does a lot of research into that. So why don't we go ahead and dive right in. Uh, uh, tell us, like, background, right? You sure. Know, who is this threat, threat actor? You know, what are they doing? Why should people care about it? Right. So Muddy Water is a threat actor known by several different names. Uh, so we call them yellow nicks here at PwC. Muddy Water is obviously like the, the more commonly used open source term for them. But there's been some reporting under Seedworm, Static Kitten, Mercury, Temp Zagros, and uh, TA450, depending on what flavor of um, of intel that you read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I think it's important, though, for us to try to talk about them, like particularly as someone who's worked uh, for several TI providers, like in as many open source um, terms as possible. And we could have a whole separate discussion on on that. And that's we could table for another time or maybe later in the podcast. But they're predominantly um, an espionage motivated actor that's been around um, since at least 2017, 2018. depending on, on again, which flavor of, of mm. uh, threat intel you subscribe to. Um, they're, they're probably based somewhere in the Middle East um, in terms of TTPs, really, like we could go anywhere with that conversation in terms mm. of like what they do. Um, recently, we actually tied um, uh, some of their operations to uh, a sanctioned uh, entity, uh, actually a security training company in the Middle East. We have a blog on that mm-hmm. um, if people are interested in it. Um, again, conversation for maybe for maybe later. But you know, mm-hmm. they're actually one of the more active groups that that we track um, out of the Middle East. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I, like I said, there's a, a, a lot of a lot of research out there uh, mm-hmm. in terms of what they do. Uh, you know, there's. Some uh, APT groups are a little bit more subtle and discreet. This one, uh, this is, one not so uh, much. <laughs> you know, a, a little bit less so, right? There's a couple that are probably even louder, right? You know, the crew behind WannaCry, for instance. I mean, sure. I mean, let's go clip, you know, kick over the global, you know, uh, technology ecosystem with a worm. You know, about the time I was thinking about taking worms out of my teaching curriculum. I was going to say, way. like, I cannot believe that that was even a term that we were using within the last but five or six years at this point. But yeah, you know, yellow, yellow necks or muddy water um, is really interesting because they, they're really broad in terms of TTPs. So, um, you know, in terms of initial access, uh, we've observed them using, um, uh, you know, known exploits. So like zero login, log for shell was something um, that was something that we saw them use. And then spear phishing seems to be like their favorite thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. This includes like compromised resources as well. Uh, early on, they were using a lot of macro-laden documents. And um, I do have to say, like, any burgeoning TI analysts who who want to kind of sink their teeth into some really fun um, macro-laden documents, I would encourage them to dig up some of the um, early muddy water stuff because they had all kinds of really funny, depending on, you know, your level of humor, uh, mm-hmm. Um 
Easter eggs in in their documents that they were uh, sending to to folks. But they're still using spear phishing. Uh, we're seeing less in the macro latent document um, space just because Microsoft shot off that functionality um, mm-hmm. uh, by default, which is great. Um, but right. in terms of privilege escalation, like, again, a lot of the tools that we see across a lot of different espionage motivated actors, Mimi cats, uh, you know, focus on um, credentials and then kind of like moving laterally across uh, a network. Uh, more recently, we've seen them use a tool called LSAS silent exit um, mm-hmm. in terms of persistence and command and control. Again, like they use just about like a little bit of everything we've seen. Uh, custom tools, uh, a lot of DNS tunneling tools. Uh, we recently did some analysis um, that we can talk about um, on uh, their use of commercially available tools, which again, isn't unique to this group, but um, the tools that they were using um, mm-hmm. definitely makes sense if you don't want to pay for stuff or develop it. And then like you mentioned, um, they have questionable OPSEC. So again, like early operations of theirs or early campaigns of theirs had a lot of really fun metadata and Easter eggs in their tools. Um, but they, t- they tend to reuse um, infrastructure sometimes or um, maybe don't have like the best OPSEC when compared to um, groups that have been around a little bit longer. Um, but they, mm-hmm. they don't appear to respond too much to public disclosure either. Um, so we have seen where publicly um, disclosed infrastructure has been reused in you know campaigns after the fact well i think the sad reality right is i mean this is true in crime and espionage right you know you've got the more disciplined mature intelligence agencies who are just going to reflexively avoid attribution because that's what disciplined intelligence agencies do but for others they're like why does that matter you know or a couple of entities that I'm thinking of, you know, want just enough ambiguity where they can go stand up and and release statements of saying, you know, hey, it wasn't us, but really are sending a message, right? And this is, I, it's just part of the world. There's just no real consequences to this behavior. So some are just like, why well, spend time and effort and energy? Because well, there's absolutely no reason, really, honestly, to go out and create your own malware when there are so many free tools mm-hmm. out there that have, you know, wiki pages dedicated on how to use them. And it does add a layer of obscurity. But I, I think the other factor is really threat actors are going to use the path of least resistance. And if it works, they're really not going to change their TTPs. I mean, that's that's the long and short of it. Yeah. Well, I said reused infrastructure, right? If, right. If know, it works, why, why, would, why would you why would you rebuild if what you already have works? Right. You know, and, and yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're talking about people who subscribe to the TI feeds and, and the whole Rosetta Stone of names. Right. But a whole lot of the global, you know, technology ecosystem are not people who subscribe to that stuff, much less are able to action it in any meaningful way. So, you know, yeah, they could reuse an IP address or a domain and their victims aren't blocking it. So it doesn't matter. Right. So that's the the wonderful permanent uh, job security that we all have. It, so, it is job security. Yes, 100%. You know. So, I mean, there, there's some fun tricks that, you know, there's a couple of employers back. I did a lot of research into remote access tools and all the metadata and config items and attribution that you can infer just by creating a large database of rat configs, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just wild cases that, you know, I was able to get involved in and do insight in like a very highly public assassination of a prosecutor in Latin America, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, and a potential connection to Middle Eastern 
uh, terrorist entities or, you know, or I guess whatever terminology you want to apply to those groups, right? So it's just not, it's not work that we, you know, you would normally think of, hey, you know, we're going to do cybersecurity, but, you know, when you've got so much data to sift through, as long as you've got a database to sift through it, you can start telling interesting stories really quick. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Muddy water has been actually kind of interesting lately though. So we've done some analysis on like some of the commercially available tools uh, that they've been using. And, you know, a lot of them give you like full access to the entire application on a trial basis. Mm -hmm. So you don't even have to pay. Um, So like some of those trials are like 20 days, others like 30. Um, Some even come with infrastructure. Uh, And so we were able to determine um, so the muddy water activity versus like actual small managed security services or managed services providers uh, just from some of the uh, infrastructure that was being used because it just didn't didn't align um, and we're able to like line that up with some of the um, installers for this valid application awesome yeah so yeah, yeah. so I said lots of lots of interesting possibilities. You mentioned something, right? You know, I mean, we talked before I before I started, and, and mm-hmm. you mentioned it again. It's like DNS DNS tunneling, right? Another mm-hmm. you know, area of, of my research. So, so I like how exactly you know does that look like? How can I find if that kind of behavior is is happening in my environment? So you know, they, yeah, but with these particular with this particular actor, uh, they haven't used it in some amount of time. Um, mm-hmm. But the way that they were doing it is they had. Um, they had they were doing custom subdomain they were creating custom subdomains in the victim environment that was calling back out to the uh threat actor infrastructure and so that mm. was was pretty unique in terms of network traffic in terms of detecting that sort of thing yeah so it'd be you know kind of randomly looking you know fqdns with a static mm-hmm. domain name that right would return. right you know, whatever embedded instructions or response, mm-hmm. right? And in, in, uh, in the A record response, I assume it was A records, right? You know, it's been a while since I looked at that particular campaign yeah. from them, but yes. Fair enough. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, one thing, one of the, it just reminds me, one of the underlying or underused, right, detection techniques of finding just unknown stuff, right? There's, if we know about it, we, you know, and a resourced organization, right? threat and tell subscription tools, whatever, right? The known stuff we should be able to at least detect if not blocked, right? It's the question, how do you find the unknown stuff? Because when looking at DNS, right? If the domain is not in a list or the host name isn't in the list, well, you do, right? But looking at some of those pathological things, hey, I'm seeing lots of queries to the same domain, but a mm-hmm. fixed string alphanumeric or hexadecimal, yep. you know, uh, FQDN, you know, should be the kind of thing that if you're doing behavioral analytics or something like that, be like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that is, but I know that's not what normal people use DNS for. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and the DNS tunneling that, that this group has used definitely aligns with that. And I mean, and, and even like more simply with what we've been seeing from them lately, um, you know, understanding what normal tools are on your network and having more of an allow list uh, versus a deny list. Uh, so, you know, with the recent tools, you know, they're not going to flag on AV. They're not going to probably flag, uh, well, they probably will flag on some of your EDR solutions. But um, if you 
just, you know, Googled these tools or some of the infrastructure that we're seeing um, Muddy Water use, uh, you know, an, an untrained analyst or somebody who maybe doesn't understand the network might say, well, it's a valid tool. Um, this is this is valid traffic. Uh, but is it a valid tool for your environment? And, you know, if it's not, then what is it doing there, particularly if it's a remote access tool, a remote administration tool? Yeah, no, I, it, it, it's a, I, it, that very much thinks that, that is a struggle. You know, it's a challenge I have with like junior analysts because there's, there's all these alerts, you know. So the first thing is, okay, what's false positives? Oh, I see TeamViewer. That's a legitimate tool close. Hey, wait a second. We don't use TeamViewer <laughs> here. You know, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's the kind of thing that, that you know, uh, you know, time and time and mentoring and experience and uh, you know, burns from all the, the fires of the data center being on fire, you know, <laughs> kind of give you uh, that, you know, I, I don't know of a good way aside of time and grade and good mentorship that helped create uh, to, to develop that in junior analysts, but it's absolutely essential to do, as you mentioned, because um, yeah, you know, there's, there's so much that can be done with free stuff, you know, is, well, you know, we, that we, we and like, yeah. Multiple actors are using this too. So it's not like, you know, some of these tools that we've seen in use by Muddy Water, we haven't seen in use by other threat actors and not just espionage based ones, but like financially focused actors and, you know, just general like fraudsters. Like a lot of these tools have really like wide application across, um, you know, the, the adversarial environment in terms of what oh, they yeah. can do with them. No, I, I think some of the tools that you mentioned Muddy Water is using that I've seen used in BEC, mm-hmm. uh, not just even like like direct consumer, I guess it's not BEC, but, you know, those threat actors that are in BC also do romance scams, fake tech support, a mm-hmm. variety of stuff, right? All of it. We've seen yeah. ransomware actors use some of this stuff too. So it's, oh, yeah. yeah. Why not? Again, it's it's free and it works well. And it also provides, you know, a layer of obscurity, as you said, in terms of attribution. Yeah, uh, strategic ambiguity, right? So <laughs> that's, a, that's a better way of putting it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 uh, I, I like you know odd ways of phrasing things and, and just a <laughs> deadpan, humorous, almost British way. So, um, but but absolutely, you know, it's PowerShell. You know, great example, though though uh, not really uh, so much as used here, but you know if. It's deployed everywhere. IT admins love it, and mm-hmm. actors love it for the same reason. IT admins love it. It's hard to manage thousands of machines, but if you want to kick over an organization with ransomware, PowerShell is a great tool for the job to at least get your binary everywhere it needs to be. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing with TeamViewer, especially post-pandemic, right? With so many remote workers, you're using something for remote access, at least for a subset of people. So that's not remote access. It's probably not right. VNC. I don't know that I, I see anybody legitimately using VNC anymore. Uh, not in the there, corporate world, right? Well, yeah. and there are so many options for these like yeah. remote administration tools. Like it's it's not just like one particular flavor that we're seeing in use by Muddy Water or even the other threat actors that are leveraging these tools. Yeah. No, it's you know. Uh, we are the, we are the biggest creators of tools used for I guess the royal <laughs> we, you know. We don't create much. We describe the problem and tell you, hey, things are on fire, right? Um, but the tech industry you know, creates the same tools, right? And you think of zero days and vulnerabilities, right? That's just, hey, 
we created this software uh, or this platform or this operating system. Hey, end user and enterprise and whoever, it's more or less on you to use it safely and figure out what that means. Um, you know, your mileage varies depending on vendor, of course, right? You know, there's software updates and patching, but there's a whole lot that is never going to be patched. You, you yeah, I mean, PowerShell, but it takes real, real effort to really lock down PowerShell in a large environment. I know it's a really tired phrase, but unfortunately it's still true. Like the whole concept of defense in depth, like it's not, there's not just like one singular tool or, uh, you know, magical hire that you can make to defend your network. It really is very much a layered approach. I think the other thing, and I, the industry's definitely gotten better about this, is this whole concept of like, um, you lost or you won. So there's still so much opportunity when a threat actor gets into your environment to stop them. Um, before they're actually achieve what they're there for, which is like nine times out of 10, uh, you, you know, it's a ransomware um, intrusion or it's, you know, somebody's there to steal something and they still have to pivot around to some part of your organization to either lock it up with ransomware or take what they're looking for. And there's time involved in that. Uh, and typically, you know, I think a lot of organizations do have a lot of the tools available to, to detect that initial access into their environment and, you know, to, to kind of change the narrative and like, you haven't lost, there's still opportunity, uh, you know, to get the threat actors out before they do whatever they're doing. Um, I think it's getting better, but it also kind of plays into that whole concept of like defense in depth really needs to, mm-hmm. again, super old phrase. I can't believe I'm saying that you can make fun no. of me later, <laughs> but it's I mean, true. The, the, it's, everything, it's the that said, everything we said in the eighties and nineties, principally, this still applies today. You know, it, it's maybe more complicated, right? You want things reviewing your logs and there's a yeah. whole lot more logs to review. And now it's not all on-prem, right? And some things it's hard to get logs. Out, well, but you want to, you know, it's, if you want to detect misuse in AWS for crypto mining, you need your AWS logs. Yeah, the complexity um, of networks has greatly, greatly changed, um, you know, and I know it's a challenge uh, for network defenders now with just they're not being like a, you know, a beautiful perimeter like there was, you know, 20 years ago when we were talking about network defense. No, I mean, to be honest, if network security is, if anything, gotten harder with encryption, that's getting hard to do full packet inspection, right? I mean, we still have web proxies, but, you know, the direction of, TLS, for instance, is is making it more and more difficult to even in corporate worlds where it's acceptable to go look at what your employees are doing, you know, to say, oh, hey, you went to a URL. Yeah, it's HTTPS, but, you know, there's malware. Sorry, I'm not delivering that binary to you. Um, you know, I don't know that that kind of detection is going to be uh, still be feasible in 10 years with the direction of privacy regulations and how people are developing protocols. Um, so, you know, it's, you, you're back to IP addresses and ports, you know, as uh, for all of the next gen firewalls and the like, right. You know, we're going to be back to snort and pre snort era network, network defense shortly. And that skips past what does network defense look like for cloud assets? Right. You know, you get an access control list. That's what it looks like. Or you could try to deploy a layered network in the cloud. You know, you can. It's theoretically possible. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough that. And you've got the whole, um, you know, third-party environment where you've got 
different vendor relationships or different third-party suppliers that, you know, are doing some sort of work on behalf of your organization. And there's, you know, special hooks into your network for that. Right. Yeah. You, you brought it back up to a point I was going to make is, is, uh, is to tie it in. It's like third-party risk. We don't really have a good solution. How do I detect, you know, supply chain compromises? So the answer is you don't. There's third-party risk companies but if somebody helped develop some of the telemetry they get in and make those decisions, it's imperfect, you know, uh, to say the least, you know, but just because you don't detect one of your third parties is breached that, you know, once they're breached, they don't automatically achieve the objectives of your environment. They need to laterally move in, right. you know, you'll uh, escalate privilege, do some scripting, do some persistence, exfiltrate data. All of it is an opportunity to... I was going to say that is a network defender's opportunity, 100%. I mean, that takes time. Right. You know, so it's just, it's, uh, you know, I mean, defense in depth, it's, I mean, to be honest, you know, most organizations struggle just with detection in depth. They're like, oh, I got EDR and a firewall. I'm fine. Well, there's things EDR isn't going to help you with, and there's things the firewall won't help you with either. Yeah, I um, think it just goes back to again, though, like the networks have gotten more complex, and so uh, you know people are struggling with just alert fatigue, and there's so much noise, and like, how do you find the signal amongst it? Like, there's just no. not there's not like one beautiful answer, and of course, it varies depending on organization. Right. No, and in you my know, kind of full circle, right? You know, the analyst is looking at a thousand alerts, you know, people get close uh, close happy. You know, I mean that's the MDR business really there is like, hey, we're just gonna close out all the noise for you. You know, the problem is without, you know, good localized knowledge of a network, you miss some of those things or you artificially close some of those things. Now the good news is you have more opportunities to detect them. Right. You missed you missed a phishing email, which is unideal, or a spear phishing email, right? That's not the end of the breach. That's just the start of it, right? You know, there's the lateral movement, the persistence, the privilege escalation, maybe or maybe not scripting, maybe or maybe not installing third party tools or legitimate or things that you get off hack forums. Right. And it still amuses me that that you can go to hack forums and is it script kiddies? Is it intelligence agencies that are downloading tools? Probably both. And they're all at a script kitty forum that's existed forever. Is hack forum still a thing? I haven't been there in a while. I, I haven't been in a while either, but I do think it is. I actually had a question for you. So we're right. kind of bringing it back to muddy water because I was having this conversation with um, one of the analysts on my team when we were um, kind of going over the research we were talking about earlier. So spear phishing versus phishing, like where where is that delineation for you? And then I'm going to put it in terms of what we're seeing with, with yellow nicks or muddy water. I mean, I would say that if there's any personalization, right, you know, so if I'm targeting an IT admin and it's something personalized to them, like, hey, uh, you know, the one that comes to mind, right, of the spear phishing is because it was something I was involved in is the 2016 election stuff, right, mm-hmm. is, hey, I'm inter- in- impersonating your specific third-party IT vendor and saying, here, install, install this update, install this application, right? you know, to the right person, right? Delivering the right the right message to the right person versus, you know, uh, a lot of phishing is like napalm the earth. Uh, Where, so, know. right. And so I agree. What we saw with Yellow Nicks and some of the recent activity, and actually they've been doing this for a long time. Um, they go after organizations and the, the fish is like pretty 
unique to the organization, but they send it to like sometimes hundreds of recipients within the organization. Right. So is that, is that phishing? Is that spear phishing? Like we were having a really fun debate about it. Um, and I was like, you know, I think we need to pull up more of the Lord. <laughs> Go through right. it you one know, by one. <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, the, the, the mercenary part about me is like, if I had to step in and solve this as a manager, is like label it whatever you want. I just want right. you to Oh no, it. it's 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 an <laughs> academic exercise. It's oh, just yeah. funny. It's just funny when we, we I was because I was having this conversation literally yesterday about uh yellow next muddy water and you know I would I would, is it I fishing, would say, is it spear fishing? But you know, it was it was unique to the organization. Like they act, they spent time uh crafting this message to be you know appealing, but it was sent to like hundreds of people. I mean, you know, I fear it as less of spear fishing, right? You know, you're not really being precisely targeted. You're more fishing in a small pond with a hand grenade. And I don't know what, what good analogy, right? You know, if, do you kill one fish? Do you kill all fish? You don't really care. You just drop in a grenade. You just need one, you. right? Isn't that, isn't that yeah. what we always say? You just need one person to open it and click. Right. So, I mean, it, it's, you know, you know, I might, I would say like, if you're targeting an entire function, right. If you think of like financial fraud against an organization, if I'm going right. doing a strafing round against the entire accounts payable, you know, the team, then, okay, we'll call that spear fishing, Right. If you're going, if it's like a hundred person think tank, you know, it's, I, I could see where the gray exists. Right. 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 So if we're talking about hundreds of people within a certain subset of a really large organization, like, is that spear phishing? Um, but like you said, if it's a hundred person organization and everyone got it, yeah, I don't know. And but I think the, the, you know, the, the problem with the, well, the opportunity with that technique is of a hundred people, somebody's going to ask a question, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully before somebody else. Well, I mean, even if clicks, you catch it click later, something, it's, yeah, it's yeah. your initial access. Hey, somebody clicked on something, but somebody brought it to it. Hey, what's this? They go into exchange. Hey, a hundred people got this dig down the rabbit hole. Oh, there's the, there's, there's my clickbait, you know, yeah. and then figure out, okay, now I'm going to do remediation quickly. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I, I'm less worried. I'm, yeah. Less worried. I, I don't know. That's the right word, right? There's more opportunities to detect the more potential victims there are. Cause hopefully you have the kind of organization where somebody said, this is weird, right? You know, yeah. here, you know, security analysts take a look at this, right. And we figure it out. Uh, because then you're shortening your time to respond. And that, I mean, it's, it's all a foot race. Once somebody clicks in, once they get their foothold, it's a foot race of, you know, what happens first? They achieve their objectives or you detect, respond and expel them. Yeah. Yeah. This one, like this latest one from, from Muddy Water. Um, I mean, again, they've been using this tactic for a fair amount of time and it must work, but I mean, it actually required like a fair amount of user interaction. So it started with like a compromised but legitimate email account, like sending the fish or spearfish, and depending on where you landed with the uh, with the definition. Um, and there was a lightly obfuscated link, um, like as an HTML HTML attachment, which you know sometimes can get through um, you know, email security. And then the target has to open the email, click on the link, which sends them to a um, cloud like file sharing site they download an archive folder uh unzip it then they have to then they're able to access this installer this commercially you know available tool and install it there's no like decoy document or anything and i'm like it really actually takes a lot of effort on the end user part of the targeted um 
individual's part to compromise uh, the organization. But it, I mean, it must be working because we've seen um, a lot of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've seen a couple of very similar fishes that that, that come to me. Right, it's, it's not not on the net rich side of my personal business because mm-hmm. you know I have like a sales at a support at alias. You know, I see it targeted to those because I mean they're name mailboxes. You know, right. fine. You know, thanks for making my research easy to go find new threats. <laughs> um, you know, but I, but I've seen an uptick of that, and I'm like, this, how is this a thing, right? But you see these old techniques get cycled back every now and then. Because mm-hmm. you got to mix it up, but it still it still works, right? You know, it's it's people forget last year's security awareness training, you know, so they go back to last year's techniques, and I'm just kind of surprised, right? How is the less tech savvy person going through all of this step, all of this effort, you know, when you know it, it takes so much effort to get people to do simple things in the corporate world? See, I'm um, surprised that you're surprised because at this point, very little surprises me after being in the space I mean, for the amount of time I have. You know, it's 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 like it's more like how is human laziness not the protection here, right? <laughs> I mean, there's defense in depth, right? Just human inertia and laziness is is a defense mechanism. It's like I'm not going to do this, right? It's like I can't make people. You know, there's the fight of deploying MFA because it requires people to download an app on a form and an extra uh, on their phone and have an extra step. Right. And people resist that because it's an extra step. But you people are going to click HTML links and go through all these steps to install a malicious team viewer on your on your machine. Right. You you can't handle entering a six digit number from your phone, but you're going to go through seven steps of something that there's no there's no lure. There's no emotion. It's not like I get the hey, here, here's a PO dot zip. Open this up. Right. You know, it's like, oh, I want to get money, you know, bring money into an organization. It's like this is there's no lure to it. It's just like. Here's an HTML file. Go eat. Okay. It's like, where, where, where is my laziness shield? How come this isn't working? You won't, you won't do MFA, but you'll do this. Um, Has MFA really not been normalized? It's getting there. I think. I think so too. I, I mean, I'm still going to talk about it till I'm blue in the face. Oh, Um, well, it's, you know, but I, you know, I think for like established companies with security postures, yeah. You know, but, you know, I've interacted with small business and they're like, you know, we're, we're not tech savvy. We're not going to install Duo. Um, you know, it's uh, and even then there's some of the well, I mean, there's the MFA drama around Twitter, but we'll just get past that. Mm. You know, but, you know, people using Office 365, you can put it in there. I still encounter like non-enterprise environments where there isn't MFA. You know, there might be one guy doing IT and a bunch of other people who who grouse and it's just grousing employees one overworked it guy grousing employees win i am happy to see it yeah i i have to say though i am happy to see it on like non and a non-enterprise environment so people's personal resources because you know we have seen with um a lot of the different threat actors that sometimes getting after their their uh targets they go after personal resources because there's such a blur between um you know the network perimeter and the fact that I can put MFA on all of my, um, for the most part, like personal, you know, online resources, I think is great. Yeah, well, I, I think. But I I'm a nerd, and and well, like probably the anomaly. But um, you know, I'm trying yeah, to get. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It's like besides text messages, how many MFA apps do I have on my phone here? Oh, probably a lot. But it's better than carrying mm. around a physical token. Yeah, when it, it ain't nobody got time for that. So one, two, three. <laughs> you remember three, that? I'm sure four, I do. 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I've got a physical token around here, you know, um, that I was going to play with. And then I realized, you know, I'm just going to have it on my keychain and it's going to get broken. So, yeah, not including SMS. I've got four, uh, you know, not including that Facebook, you know, has its own kind of ingrained MFA. But um, like if you log into a new app, you've got to pull up your Facebook app mm. on your phone or something like that. You know, I'm not including that. I think there's four. Um you know, but I can install apps on my phone and just deal with it. Then the problem becomes is when I upgrade the phone, then I've got to do re-enroll everywhere. That's the pain. I'm not going to lie. It is a motivation for me to keep my phone longer. And it, 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 Well, I, 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 I did this. I looked behind me. I've got an iPhone 13, 14 or whatever the latest iPhone. It's still unpackaged, uh, uh, packaged on my desk because I've got to migrate everything. Right. And it's really <laughs> the MFA. Then I'm like, man. You know, and I guess I use LastPass, so I gotta, I gotta, re, uh, you know, rotate all the passwords anyway. You know, so it's just like, okay, when can I allocate the two days and the requisite whiskey to deal with this problem? <laughs> so yeah, and that's that's see, it's human laziness, right? You know, it's like I, I understand it. It's like I, I know what the right answer is. But I don't got time for this. I got other things to do. But you know, I, I've got somebody who's clicking on just un, you know uninteresting html links and getting themselves owned i don't get it mm. you know just be lazy I, I can i can architect my tech stack around human laziness <laughs> you know, security and and lethargy right instead of security and usability um so any 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 parting thoughts because yeah, we're running you're running up to a half a half hour and i want to be respectful of your time you know it's like what's the takeaways here of muddy waters uh, you know, so threat actors living off the land. Right. So with them, like super active, uh, been around for some time. Uh, they're a great example of threat actors using the path of least resistance. And I think like, um, as a network defender, like, can you detect these tools, these valid tools on your network that don't actually have any valid application for your network? Uh, you know, that, that would be like my, my salient takeaways. I will say there was a report that came out this week about muddy water being behind um, uh, a sabotage attack, uh, which is like, probably fairly aligned with with you know how this threat actor might be sourced. Um, we did do our own analysis on on the malware. It's called Darkbit. That was associated with that, and it was mm-hmm. pretty obviously not classic ransomware. Um, we haven't fully attributed that activity to to muddy water, but. We're definitely not surprised in terms of the motivation being associated um, with that group. Yeah, no, I'm mean, some some very interesting reporting. I think it, it crossed my desk, and I, I read it, but didn't uh, uh, didn't have time to fully digest it. But it certainly encourage people to take a look at that. There's, uh, and like I said, the tied a, a sabotage attack, which seemed to be a little bit new there, because it's. I mean, there's no hiding sabotage attacks, right? So that's the no. point. It's to burn everything to the ground. So. Um, you know, it's the, the importance of detecting this stuff earlier on mm-hmm. so that, uh, you know, like I said, ideally before things are burned to the ground, because yeah, you may know that everything's, everything's down, but by then point, by that point, you know, it's already too late, right? That's, we want to prevent the, uh, prevent the harm in the first place. Absolutely. 
So with that, we will wrap it up. You've been listening to the Beth Webs uh, Threat Research Podcast. We air every other Wednesday on all of your favorite podcast apps. Again, thank you, Alison Wyckoff, for joining us from PwC, the Director of Global Threat Intel for the Americas. Really enjoyed having you on and hope you all tune in next time uh, to geek out on all things threat research. Thank you.